0: Hi friends, welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Emily, and this week on Illuminate, we will be talking to Robin Noling. She is a non-diet dietitian and nurse practitioner. She is passionate about helping women find peace with food, accept their natural body size, and heal from hormonal issues and period problems. Robin and I talked a lot about intuitive eating, what that means for your body and what it doesn't. We talked about hormones and what can affect them how our everyday life stress is powerful and how you can start to heal your hormones gently and with peace. This episode is one of the first two episodes I recorded and I'll be honest, I hung onto it because I just really wasn't happy with my questions. I was nervous. And I ended up having to ask Robin for another short interview because I just completely spaced about asking her some really important questions. You'll hear a small sound difference between these two different phone calls, but hopefully it won't be too much of a distraction. I ended up deciding to release this episode because listening back, Robin just has too much knowledge, passion, and expertise to keep it out. Robin handles food issues and hormonal and reproductive health issues with such a wonderful balance of empathy and enthusiasm. Her unconditional support of health for women and their bodies is woven through our whole conversation please enjoy my conversation with Robin Noling. I just loved hearing your journey to where you are in terms of your personal journey. And then kind of, I feel like your work and your personal journey are so mm-hmm. intertwined, mm-hmm. which I think is Definitely. super powerful. So uh-huh. um, I would just love to hear about that.
1: So yeah, my personal life and my professional life intermingle in a way where I feel like my personal journey, I guess my personal health journey has kind of been the catalyst for the work that I do now. So I always tell people that I don't think that I set out, Oh, I know I didn't set out to do this work. It more found me and I'm so glad I did because it's incredibly rewarding. Um, and something I feel definitely very much called to, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I would say for most of like my high school and college years, I, you know, dabbled with all kinds of diets. I was in a sorority in college. you know it was kind of your typical yeah typical high school and typical college female and so with that came a lot of disordered eating patterns a lot of micromanaging of my body size just like a volatile relationship with food right mm-hmm. i'm like eating whenever i want or i'm like starving myself and running and mm-hmm. a lot of my identity was in my body size and yeah to sum up just just a really long story and so it went up and down and up and down and then Around my junior year of college, and throughout all this, I was never getting a regular menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. I went on birth control as I left for college at Indiana University for honestly contraceptive purposes, and mm-hmm. um, so that was masking right my persistent period issues that no one seemed to think was an issue as I went through high school and college. Whenever I go to the doctor, mm-hmm. and so I went to college and had a great college experience overall. Like I loved college so much and I'm sure anybody that went to IU
0: or big school. I, yep, can probably <laughs> went to IU. I went to IU it's and fantastic. it was yeah. the best.
1: <laughs> it's the best, right? Yeah. Yeah, you never so want to go back and do it again, no. but it's the best.
0: Yeah, totally. Um,
1: once it's done, it's done. Um, yeah. so it was so great, but I will say around my junior year, I started to Like just learn more. It was like when people were eating more of like real food and like Mm -hmm. that was like a thing, Michael Pollan, real food, that's it, that's it up. So I got really interested in that and then went off to do my dietetic internship in Charlottesville, Virginia and Mm -hmm. was still very much, even though I was eating much more and like actually nourishing my body with like real food and um, like eating to hunger and fullness and not just on this like roller coaster of like diet whiplash all Mm -hmm. the time. I was still very much like reliant on exercise and very much concerned with my body size. And so it didn't really get better. It did in some ways, but other ways it didn't. And again, I still was not menstruating, um, Hmm. regularly. I was on birth control still. So when I was 24, I decided I had started working alongside two medical doctors, like Western trained MDs at more of a functional integrative health clinic. After my internship, I had gotten hired as a dietitian and, Because it was like more of this functional integrative clinic, the dietitian does play a pretty central role. And so Mm -hmm. the three of us were kind of this healthcare team. And one of those doctors was an endocrinologist. And he just taught me a ton about metabolism and hormones and stress and cortisol and all of these other factors that go into our health Mm -hmm. far beyond exercise and food. And I had never really even heard this before. I'd, you know, been through... uh, my diet, dietetics training, but I certainly wasn't like a med student or anything. So all the pathophysiology was new to me. But even nutrition and the way he was looking at it and metabolism—all these things were totally new to me. Mm-hmm. So I was like totally captivated by all this. Wanted to learn as much as I could. Um, was still very much really just naive and young and all kinds of stuff that you are when you're
0: 23.
1: Mm-hmm. And um and so that's what really got me interested in being like, okay, this whole non period thing can't be, can't be normal. Hmm, like this is yeah. not normal. Yeah. So that was, that's what kind of put me down this rabbit hole. I was seeing some specialists and nobody had an answer for me. I had a reproductive endocrinologist telling me exercise was not the cause of my missing period. There was no reason I should stop running when I asked her hmm. about it and that too is just weird. And so fast forward, just a lot of research later I began trying to, heal myself basically.
0: Yeah. And
1: at that same time I was like writing a lot about this and blogging about it. And I had this blog I was starting. Instagram was like just starting. It was like just this new thing. Mm-hmm. And um, that kind of just naturally attracted an audience that women who were struggling with disordered eating, dieting, maybe a full one eating disorder, like that was the audience I began to attract. And so actually the people that were reading my stuff were people with similar stories to my own. And so, yeah, I went on to thankfully recover from a hyperflammate game and RAM. for those who are listening who are like, what a, what a, what a, is that mm-hmm. it's essentially when you lose your period due to lifestyle factors, okay. nutrition, stress, too much exercise, weight loss. Um, and so it's actually quite, I don't want to say common cause I actually don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but more common than we might think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so yeah, that's what kind of really ignited this passion for me around hormonal health and women's health and kind of the intersection of eating disorders, disordered eating, hormonal health, and like women's reproductive health issues and all how all this stuff interplays with each other. I just became fascinated with. And so that's kind of where my work has kind of evolved to. I I went back to school shortly after becoming a dietitian. I think I worked for about two years and then felt really stunted in my scope of practice. And so I went back to become a nurse practitioner um, through like a longer process. Obviously, I had to get a BSN and then an MSN. Wow. And then I've kind of combined the nutrition world and the nursing world to what I do now.
0: I think that's so cool. I feel like, like you said, it, it, is, it seems so obvious that it's your calling. It mm-hmm. just so so naturally worked that way. I mean, obviously, you worked really hard and learned so many things, but the passion was there. And that's so awesome. Yeah, I'm really thankful that you're in this space and speaking these things, because uh, I think there's so much confusion. Um, And I don't I don't even think I realized I was confused until I was confused. I don't know. (laughs) know. Like, I I didn't realize there was another option or that there was like, a different way to view uh, your eating or your health outside of I don't know, the wellness type. um, Yeah, traditional wellness culture. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: Well, you don't know what you don't know, right? Right,
0: right, right. And it kind Mm -hmm. of blew my mind. Honestly, I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, like, this is so interesting. So I guess for our audience, would you explain and introduce what is intuitive eating? And how does that have to do with hormones? um, And what Mm -hmm. you were talking about with women's health and their hormones?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So for really simplicity's sake, I like to think of intuitive eating. And for those people who have never been even exposed to this term, it is 100% not a way to lose weight. I tell people three things can happen when you start on the intuitive eating journey. It's your weight can shift up, shift down or stay the same. But I know kind of it's gotten twisted in the -hmm. social media world and wellness culture to be a way to lose weight without Mm -hmm. dieting. And that's 100% not what intuitive eating is. So I feel like I always have to preface it with that. But I like to think of intuitive eating as bridging together my knowledge and body knowledge. Mm. So I think of it as your body really should be driving the show. Like Think of it like the pilot. Right, so you're you become what, what what typically happens is that we have all these external factors, culture, the media, all that, who give it, who who send us a lot of messaging on what we should be eating, which really disrupts kind of this innate ability and this innate attunement that mm-hmm. we are born with. So yeah, because we're born into this world that teaches us from a very small age, our body size is a container of our worth, mm-hmm. and teaches us this very narrow view of health. It makes complete sense that that natural tubing gets totally disrupted. So intuitive eating is really learning the skill of that again, Uh, a skill that we knew from the beginning, but then gets disrupted. So really our body kind of drives the show and it's really listening to our body cues in terms of determining how much to eat, what to eat, when to eat. But really it's also your mind coming in and really having just some sound nutrition knowledge because sometimes our body will have confusing signals, right? We might be Mm -hmm. stressed. We might be overly tired. We might have GI issues. We Mm -hmm. might have you know, a chronic illness that has a therapeutically indicated diet. Mm-hmm. I mean, all kinds of things that can disrupt and make our body signals confusing. And that's when your mind can come in and can assist. I kind of think of the mind as the co-pilot in making decisions that are still nourishing um, and good for your body. So it's, it's, I like to think of it. It's a little bit more complex than just eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. Okay. Cause there's so many other reasons we eat. Great. We eat for pleasure and enjoyment and emotional health and, all kinds of things. And there are going to be times when we actually have to use a little bit more of that mind knowledge because our body
0: knowledge is totally confusing. That's so helpful to me because even just, that was literally one of my biggest questions Mm -hmm. because I have kids and Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. are very different. And, Mm -hmm. um, even my husband, um, the way that mm-hmm. I just can see the way that people choose to eat and what they eat is very different. What prompts them to eat or what prompts them not to eat. And uh, I know that personally, I'm usually the person that just eats for all the reasons. And uh-huh. and I know that I need to use my mind because there's some times that probably I shouldn't just keep Eating for all the reasons, so like I kind of got a, that was a hold up for me with this intuitive eating thing. Was like, well, if I just kept eating whenever I wanted to eat or felt like eating, it would be a lot versus like my husband, who just doesn't comfort himself that way. Or yeah, like, and I know there's a lot of gray area there, and I know that's uh-huh. probably very. It's hard to tease out what I'm saying, but like basically that's very reassuring that like your mind is a part of the process as well.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think what you're explaining too is like what a lot of people think, like if I'm just allowed to eat whatever I want, I'm never going to stop. And I'm going to eat all these like highly palatable, low nutrient foods. And really that might be the case in the short term as you like release that restriction and give yourself full permission and build some skills around like those foods and being able to eat them in a peaceful and not chaotic way and also for people to keep in mind, when you have any sort of restriction around a food, physical, mental, or emotional, so either you're eating pizza and telling yourself you shouldn't be eating pizza, or you are tell yourself you shouldn't eat pizza and you're actually not eating the pizza, so either way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we know that actually the reward pathway in your brain lights up and is actually more intense under circumstances of deprivation. So if I'm telling myself I shouldn't eat the pizza – I'm, I'm going to have a stronger reward response to that pizza.
0: Hmm.
1: That's not, not food addiction, what people want to say. Yeah. Um, it's just that under deprivation, our bodies have an increased drive to eat. Of course they do. They're smart. right? And so, but as you learn to give yourself full permission and as you learn to eat satisfying foods and you incorporate them routinely into your daily life, you might crave those foods more frequently in the beginning, but that will wear off. Um, because you'll start to realize that like permission piece, right. Is down your reward response. Isn't as intense. Mm -hmm. It's actually more level where it should be. Um, and with that, you can start to attune to how does my body feel? Well, you'll probably realize if you eat three cupcakes in a row, you don't feel too awesome. And so you'll have that, that feedback loop, right. Where what you're saying is like, if I just keep eating, right. Then, then I'm not going to stop. And my mind has to come in and really, I think, Your body will lead that way. It just might mean in the short term you are eating more frequently these kind of what we type, what we typically think of as like unhealthy foods, highly palatable foods. Mm -hmm. Um, And that might happen more frequently in the beginning. And you might overeat a lot in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But like that's kind of all part of the journey. But obviously that's a very terrifying thing for people to walk into this and know it's going to be a little bumpy and rough for a while. (laughs) Right. Nobody (laughs) wants to do that. They don't want to go through that. Right. Um, But it can be, it's really, and it's, it's pretty short lived, but you kind of have to get through that. And then, and then as you tease through all the others, there's 10 principles in intuitive eating. As you tease through a lot of those principles, the final one is gentle nutrition, which I think what you're getting to, when we talk about my knowledge Mm -hmm. is this piece of like, yes, we should be eating fruits and vegetables and whole grains and all these healthy, nourishing Mm -hmm. foods. And we can make choices with some sound, just objective, not subjective nutrition knowledge. And so, but you can't really do that unless you work through all those principles because gentle nutrition is going to get really tangled up in diet culture. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. Now, now we're eating a salad because it has less calories or because it can keep our body a certain size. We're not eating a salad because we just came off of a weekend that might've been more celebratory and our body's just really ultimately craving
0: that. Craving some veggies. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or it's a, you know, summer night and It's hot out. And of course you're going to create
0: like colder, lighter food. Right. Right. Oh yeah.
1: Does that make sense?
0: That makes so much sense. Yes, definitely. How do you, how do you see clients and encourage them to move from that mindset of, I don't want to say care, like caring about what your body looks like versus caring not or caring what your body, what you feel like inside, um, that you feel good about yourself. Uh, like, I find myself reading the intuitive eating stuff and thinking, but what if I wanted to put on my jeans and they fit? I don't know. I Mm -hmm. I get a little confused because Mm -hmm. I want to be so, yeah, that totally makes sense. And then I have, I don't know if, is it that just diet culture that's catching me Mm. up in my brain or is Mm -hmm. that a truth? You know, Is, is that something that is healthy to think about or just completely throw it by the wayside type thinking?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think what you're describing makes complete sense, right? Like, of course, everybody wants to fit into their X size pants, because we live in a culture that praises a certain body size. Mm -hmm. So of course, that makes total sense. Like when people want to come to me and they want to lose weight, that makes total sense, right? When people come to me and they don't like the fat on their arm, of course, it makes total sense, because we live in a society that doesn't think fat's a positive thing. Mm -hmm. Right? So it makes total sense that we all want to try on pants and for them to fit. So I think it circles back to, okay, this is such like a fundamental issue. Um, then it then makes the question of like, okay, what, like, ultimately, like, what do you value? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, because people will say, well, I want to fit in my pants and then we kind of get down to it and they ultimately want to feel good. Okay. Well, right. feeling good and fitting in your pants are two totally different things. Mm-hmm. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like feeling for sure. physically well.
0: Yeah. Well, think, Yes.
1: Yeah, and people are like, well, I want to feel mentally and emotionally well. Of course, and we have to say, okay, what about fitting in your pants makes you feel mentally and emotionally well? And if we go down the rabbit hole of that, and I'm making something that's way more complex. and I might spend several sessions with a client doing this, really simple in this conversation. Yeah. But but for simplicity's sake, um, that might mean I, an exercise I do a lot with clients is like an if-then statement. So if what, then what? If I don't fit my pants, then what? And you could go down that for like several of those sentences. We might get to 10 or 20 versions of that. And at the bottom of that is something. I've heard everything from I don't want to be alone to Mm -hmm. like I don't want to disappoint people Mm -hmm. to I mean so many things, right? Like this has kept me safe to wear, you know, whatever reason. So it's never actually about your ultimate pant size. At the bottom of that is something that we're longing for that the pant size is helping us cope with. Does that make sense? It's a way we're managing, it's a way we're managing a difficult emotion we ultimately do not want to feel.
0: Right. That makes sense
1: so for me personally, it was like I want to be this certain size so that way I can feel I won't feel insecure. Right. And then we have to say, okay, well, what if you felt insecure, then what? And you go down all of that rabbit hole. And then we can start to think about, okay, this isn't actually about your pant size. This is about not wanting to feel insecure. And how do we help you not feel insecure? So that way you can come up with some healthier ways to manage that versus micromanaging your body size. Does that
0: make sense? Yeah, for sure. For sure. It seems so um, holistic and for a lack of a better term, real, like it's to the point, it's very much to your heart, um, instead of to the outside. Um, yeah, that sounds, that's very challenging for But Here's the thing. Yeah. Yeah,
1: But here's the thing. Me telling somebody that is not as sexy as a diet or a protocol or clean eating. It is painful. It is messy. It is non-linear. It is very gray. It's very uncertain right? Like who wants to go down that road when you can just like do X, Y, Z and fit in your pants and go on with your life and not feel difficult emotion? motion. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a therapist. I don't function as a therapist, but a lot of the stuff that comes up in sessions, that's what almost all my clients are working in conjunction with a therapist. A therapist yeah. It's yeah, so a therapeutic sense. issue, right? Food yeah. is so emotional. Like you mentioned, um, you soothing with food and your husband not. Mm-hmm. I think for I would never want to say men don't soothe with food because they can, but I think yeah. women are more apt to soothe with food. Mm-hmm. And like food can be one way we soothe ourselves. We just don't want it to be the only way we soothe ourselves. Right. right. Um, so I think that it is food is emotional and it's so complex. There's so much underneath that one thing. So I think kind of to circle back to your question of like, is that truth that I want to see my pants? Is this diet culture? I think it certainly is diet culture that, mm-hmm. that has made that be a feel-good thing where we find our identity in those sorts of things. But I think we would all be fooling, ourse- fooling ourselves if we weren't to say, yeah, we all feel a little bit better when we're in a smaller body size because that's applauded by culture. So yeah. I describe it a lot as like, fortunately my genetic set point is something that is socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. So the pain that I feel in a body that I don't necessarily love is not going to be anywhere near perhaps what somebody might feel if they live in a larger body that's not socially accepted. Like I could never even speak and try to equate those two Yeah. Um, because we don't have to deal with the, you know, the roadblocks in society of living in a larger than so- socially acceptable body. Right. But I describe this a lot. Like, do I aesthetically prefer my body back when it was in college? Sure. Yeah. Because we live in a culture that says, yes, that is fantastic. Right? right, but I am in no way shape or form ever willing to engage in behaviors to get it that way. Yeah, that doesn't matter to me. that's not in line with my values. I literally don't care. You couldn't pay me three million trillion dollars to go do that. Yeah. And so I think explaining that feel that yes, we can we can desire to look aesthetically different. Um, and that's probably very normal. I think that's pretty normal. yeah. Um, that doesn't like overtake my thoughts ever. like I never mm-hmm. think about it anymore because I'm pretty far removed from that. But it's more of like, can we come to a place where we can just appreciate and take care of our body as we've been given it? So we can actually invest energy into things that are more meaningful and that are in
0: line with our values. Yes. I think that this is the last thing I wanted to comment about. I'm blabbering. Sorry.
1: sorry. No, no. I
0: I just felt like intuitive eating lines up so well with... your value, like not your values, but with one's values, like you have to know your values. It seems like to be able to Mm -hmm. go down that path. Yes. And, and you have to know, um, knowing that your energy is going to be more put towards your values and not towards some silly, I don't know, containers you're supposed to be eating or what your next meal is or what time your Mm -hmm. next meal is. But, Mm -hmm. um, how you can love your children better or how you can love your spouse more or how you can serve your community or, you know, it it takes up brain space to think of food stuff. Yes. (laughs) Um, And I think I really see how intuitive eating lines up with being able to serve others and be present in yourself more if you're at peace with all those things.
1: Totally. Think about how much, yeah, brain space you ultimately have freed up. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, when you are, when you're not thinking about food and exercise all the time.
0: Totally. You know, it's so worth it. And, uh, it, it seems like if we could just remove that, um, portion of Instagram and <laughs> yeah, just the, the diet culture in general just would free up so many people's brain spaces. How much could be done in the world? You know? Oh my goodness.
1: Yes. If you think about things that are so much more meaningful to put our time yes. and energy towards. Yes.
0: It's crazy. Yes. A lot of your work has to do with helping women heal their hormones. It seems like there's like a really big connection between your relationship with food, how you move your body and your hormones, especially in regards to your cycle. Can you help me understand a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So you have kind of, there's, there's, a few different um axes. I think that's how you'd say for plural, like A X I S axis. Um, I always will my tongue will move too fast and people will be like, What is she saying? So I'm saying access and I think the plural's axes. Yes. I think. I was not an English major. And so you have a few of them and the ones we're in particular we're gonna talk about is your HPA axis. Um okay. Your hypothalamus connects to your pituitary, connects to your adrenal glands, and that is really your stress response. So it's like your fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that, so basically it's a cascade of hormones that gets um, elicited under any sort of stress. This could be positive stress, like um, you know going on vacation or getting a job promotion, getting married, mm-hmm. moving. Um, it could be really negative stress, um, or at least not happy stress, like um, a loved one passing away or a divorce or relationship tension or financial issues and it can also be something as trivial as like spilling coffee on your shirt or running late for work and within that some of these stressors too can be things like um, under eating it can be things like restricting your food intake it can be stressing around food Mm -hmm. you know just the idea of is this healthy is this quote-unquote clean enough it could be um exercise is can be a productive stressor but if we have all kinds of other stress going on in our life or for exercising because we're trying to micromanage our body size or because we're anxious about something happening like gaining weight or something like that. That's going to be a negative stressor, poor sleep. And then um, of course all those perceived stressors that I named, you know, relational stuff, emotional stuff. Mm-hmm. So any of those things, and of course it's on an exhaustive list will actually like talk to your hypothalamus, your hypothalamus, hypothalamus will release a hormone. I'm not going to go through all that. because it'll just confuse people. That talks to your pituitary gland in your brain, and then your pituitary gland releases things that swim downstream to your adrenal glands. And people have probably heard of your adrenal glands if they've, like, heard of the catchy phrase adrenal fatigue, Mm -hmm. um, which is not an actual diagnosis we find in the literature, but people who have those symptoms, those are real symptoms. So I don't want to invalidate somebody's lived experience, but I say that in quotations, adrenal fatigue. Mm -hmm. So you have your hypothalamus to your pituitary to your adrenal gland. And your adrenal glands secrete um, several hormones. But the main one we'll think about is cortisol, which is our main stress hormone. So think about that cortisol. It has a myriad of effects on the body and all kinds of different body systems. But one system it can affect is your reproductive system.
0: Mm. And
1: that is something we call – or now I'm going to refer to something called your HPG access. So still hypothalamus still pituitary, but instead of it talking to your adrenal glands, it's talking to your gonads and for women, your ovaries, women or men, obviously your testes. And so that cortisol that we had pooling around from all these stressors, if it is constantly elicited and there's no period of rest for your body to come back to homeostasis, that's when we run into problems. It's not that any stress at all is going to cause problems. It's when your body's not getting a break to really come back to equilibrium Mm -hmm. And that cortisol can go in and your hypothalamus releases a hormone that talks to your pituitary gland and your pituitary gland. Women are probably familiar with these two hormones releases LH luteinizing hormone and FSH um, follicle stimulating hormone. Mm -hmm. And those two hormones along with estrogen and progesterone are big players in your menstrual cycle. And so your pituitary gland releases those and then those talk to your ovaries and your ovaries ultimately produce estrogen and also progesterone. And so cortisol, actually what happens when you have too much of this swimming around, it goes in and it interferes with this really synchronized hormonal cascade. And what can happen is you run into a lot of problems. Everything from um, you know not ovulating, um, not getting your period at all, I meaning you never bleed, irregular cycles, heavy bleeding, um, mm-hmm. painful painful bleeding, I mean all kinds of stuff. Um and so the two, the main point I want to drive home here is the two interplay with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, another axis is your thyroid HPT, but we won't get into that right now. But those things really affect each other. And so when we think about your reproductive health, our reproductive system is actually really sensitive to environmental factors. Hmm. I can keep going, but I'll take a pause
0: yeah. so people can like ugh, take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that that's. So interesting. And also, I guess what my question is, you know, each person could have – is this true, I guess, that each each person's level of their body tolerating stress is different, no?
1: Yes. I'm so glad you pointed that out. So there's also something, another term called allostatic load, and it's basically the wear and tear in your body. Mm. And everybody has a different – I think of this as like a bucket. And everybody has a different size bucket. Mm-hmm. So what I can tolerate might be different than what you can tolerate. So some people can, you know, I'll take even like motherhood, for example. Some people can have like five kids and they're all close in age and that doesn't like totally send them over the edge. Mm-hmm. For somebody else, it might be really difficult to manage one. Mm hmm. Neither is good or bad. It just is. That's like your own body's capacity, Mm -hmm. whether that's going to grad school or living in a new city or kind of all these different kind of life changes that happen. Or, you know, I might be naming off just trivial first world things too. But the point is is that every capacity is different. So it's, it's very unhelpful to compare yourself and saying, well, if they can do it, I can, but Mm -hmm. maybe not. Right. Maybe they can, but you can't, but you might be able to do something else that somebody else can't.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so if I'm listening to this and I hear, it just seems like, well, maybe that's, maybe that's something that's going on with me. What would you recommend, like their first step? Like, I guess if, or if they've gone to their doctor, they've been diagnosed with, well, they haven't been, they their doctor has said there's not really a reason. Like, I can't mm-hmm. really pinpoint anything. You should be fine. Everything looks great. Mm -hmm. Where do you, I mean, where do you suggest that that woman would go next? Yeah, this is such a great
1: question. So knowing that there could be a zillion and a half, uh, quote unquote, like complaints or concerns, um, meaning like everyone might have a different concern. One woman might not be getting her period. Another one might have PCOS. Another one is not getting pregnant. I mean, there's so many other ones Mm -hmm. or so many, um, that I would kind of first encourage somebody to do some self-inventory in four different areas of your life. To first ask the question, okay, do I eat in a way to micromanage my body size or to micromanage even food in general? So whether I'm really focused on calories or quote-unquote clean eating or any particular style of eating, if you are, you're not alone. We live in a culture where the majority of people are, but that can actually really affect your reproductive health. So do some self inventory on that. Are you undernourishing in any way? And what is your stress level kind of rated on a scale of one to 10 around your relationship with food? Mm -hmm. So that's one area. Then go to exercise. Okay. Do I exercise in order to micromanage my body size? Do I exercise to burn calories? And a good question to ask yourself is if calories didn't exist, would I still be doing the same amount of exercise. Mm. So kind of do some self inventory of that. Okay. What's my relationship with exercise? Um, if you're doing a lot of high intensity movement, meaning you couldn't sing the entire time and you're doing that day after day, mm-hmm. that's kind of a good clear sign. I mean, research shows that even as much or as little, I should say, of three hours of moderate intensity of exercise is enough to throw off our menstrual cycles. Wow. So do some self inventory there. Isn't that shocking? Mm-hmm. Um, And also, you know, if you have a lot of other stress going on in your life and you're exercising on top of that, that might not actually be a productive stressor, Mm -hmm. right? That could be just sending you over the edge or if you're not eating enough to support your physical activity. Mm -hmm. So nutrition and exercise, do some self-inventory on that. Take a look at your sleep. Are you sleeping? Mm -hmm. Um, That's, of course, a huge stressor. And then take a look at kind of your perceived stress. And sometimes people don't even realize their stress, but then we take a look around and it's like, oh, actually, I have been traveling a lot that might not be something where you feel like totally frazzled all day, but it's still a stressor. Mm-hmm. So just kind of do some self inventory in your life then. And that can just be a good place to start. Um, before like I used to be told in nursing school all the time, like don't go to college for you go to elementary school. Like we don't need to think about, I'm not saying don't go to your doctor or anything, but like make it super complicated with all these diagnostic tests and everything like that. Yeah. Um, let's just like get a good history and like yeah. get some self inventory and start there. Um, and that can be a good place for you just to like gain some awareness in terms of answers. Um, I'll recommend a f- few fantastic books, um, and some other resources. Um, there's a two couple books, a couple books. If you're not getting your period at all, a good book is no period. Now what, um, by Nick okay. and the, Nicola Rinaldi. And she's a colleague of mine up here in Boston. She's fantastic. Okay. There's also a book that's like kind of like the fertility Bible. It's called taking charge of your fertility. If you mm. really want to do a good face dive. Um, and then also I'll do kind of a, um, a shameless plug. Yes. I have tons of free resources on, um, my blog that you can go to. If you just search the reproductive health or hormone archives, there is like eight years of content free at oh. your expense. Um, or I talk about this stuff all the time, my social media, and if people are interested, um, I do have some online courses that can be helpful for people too. And that's of course a resource too. So everything from free to just, the cost of a book to more like online support. Of course, we work with women one-on-one as well um, at reallifewomenshealth.com. And hopefully that kind of gives lots of people many resources. Um, and that's just a couple of books I recommend. There's of course probably more, but those are kind of my two go-tos for people that depending on your financial resources, hopefully that will be helpful.
0: Awesome. Those sound like really good, hopeful and doable first steps.
1: Yes. Yes, Definitely. I always tell people, I'll stress this too. We typically want to go to food for like the fix of everything. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that we can actually create more stress in our lives. Hmm. And what we need to often be doing is just doing less.
0: Hmm. So, yeah, in your, this is just kind of like a curiosity question. In Mm -hmm. your practice, have you seen, would you say, it's less likely that a certain food is affecting your hormones and more likely that a general like life situation is more affecting your hormones.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, um, I think we want to go, like I always talk about nutritional minutia really doesn't matter as much as we think it does. Mm. Um, and so I would even say to look at factors like, even when I'm working with a client, right. And I start asking a lot of questions. I'm not asking about food first.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that's kind of like the last thing I go to. I want to know about the relationship with food, the relationship with exercise, all those things. And then beyond that, looking at just the macronutrients, right. And people get plenty of protein. Are we getting enough carbohydrates? Are we getting enough healthy fats? Um, and fat in general, are we getting enough calories, like enough energy coming in? Yeah. Like the little nitty gritty like details of food really don't matter as much as we think they do. And this even goes beyond into like chronic disease and things like that. I mean, it's even pretty clear in the research that stress in and of itself um, is really one of the main contributing factors to chronic disease. And we want to just pinpoint these little nitty gritty foods. And we're like totally missing the mark.
0: Yeah. That's very interesting. I would certainly say that. So I guess it leads to my last question would be, how, or I guess, how would you like to see culture change in terms of eating and, um, just living, I guess. Cause it, it seems yeah. like it's almost not just eating. I don't know. Um, it is just, it is eating, but it seems, te- it seems like that, that affects how you live, I guess.
1: Oh, totally. Think about how much it impacts. Oh man. I don't know if I'll ever see culture totally shift in my lifetime, but, um, I think if just one more person and one more person and one more person doesn't feel like they have to live in bondage to food in their body, that's a, that's, you know, a huge thing because think about it. If you're surrounded with a bunch of women who eat to satisfaction, eat to hunger and fullness, like honor their appetite, um, and enjoy their life outside of like food is celebrated Mm -hmm. and just, you know, move in a way that's really like enjoyable. Like Mm -hmm. I love to run. I love to exercise all this. All the things are good. Mm -hmm. Um, and they do that things like think about if you were, if you were surrounded by that all the time, it probably, it would be much more easier for you to engage in that same type of behavior. Yeah. Right. So the more people that change, the more people there are that live, that are living in contrast to diet culture, that more people than, are exposed to that and get glimpses of that. And that helps people give permission to themselves to do the same thing. Um, and so I think it, even if culture doesn't completely shift, I think that the more, yeah, the more positive messaging we get on Instagram and those sorts of things, social media, I have a love hate relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it can move it, move in the right direction. I'm not actually answering your question, right? I don't think, but, um, no, you're but in. I think it, it yeah. really just happened on a micro scale. Um, Because I think it can be really overwhelming to look at the big picture. And especially like we mentioned at the very beginning, like wellness culture, which is like the new diet culture, I feel like just in disguise, like anti-inflammatory foods and brain fog and all of these things. And I'm not saying that nutritious fruits and vegetables are bad things. Absolutely not. Like I have a deep appreciation for the therapeutic effect of food, but I just think that we simply cannot... Um, water down biology to be food and exercise. It's yeah. just so much more complex than that. Yeah, We don't even know almost all of biology. Mm-hmm. Like even the most brilliant scientists have such a micro understanding of human biology. So um, so yeah, I think that there's a lot of work to do, but I think if you can just start like on the micro scale with just one woman and one woman and one woman, that can have like a, a domino effect.
0: Robin, thank you. Thank you for your support and love that guides each woman you work with. This isn't a part of life that we want to deal with or talk about all the time, but really it's not something that we can ignore. Our bodies demand nourishment and love and we owe it to them to cherish them and meet their needs because they have so much to give us. There are so many out there with harsh or critical words for our bodies. Thank you, Robin, for your voice that is positive and accepting. You can find Robin on Instagram at the Real Life Underscore RD, and all of her information at her website, thereallife-rd.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Illuminate podcast this week. Let us know how you liked the episode. If you enjoyed it, please share with a friend that you think would enjoy it as well. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. We are so thankful for all our guests and listeners. Also, a big shout out to our families that support us while we create this new platform for light in the world. We hope to make them proud. Much love. We'll be back next week.